What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, it's 2020. Yeah. It's a new year. Yeah. Do you reckon if we call Jason Furman, his attitude might have improved? Only one way to find out. Should we call him? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Hello, Buffhead. Hey, Cockhead, what are you doing? <laughs> you woke me up, you bastard. Did, we're recording another ad and we thought we'd call you. Yeah, just to- <laughs> yeah you fucking woke me up. You're lucky, all right? Answered it. <laughs> oh, is that one of the reasons you don't like people calling you? Because you work nights? Yeah, that's like I, I, I try to stay awake until fucking midday, but no, people ring me at like three in the afternoon. Oh. Like as if they have lives. Hey, Jace, got any cool stuff for sale through com? Yeah, if uh, you get on the website and if you're a balanced trainer, certified balanced trainer, that's NDTF or Mark Bell and Gold School, right. um, you can get up to $40 off. HS products. I see. Is that because you're an ethical good guy and you're trying to outprice people just buying them without knowing what they're doing with them? Pretty much. There are other reasons, but mostly it's that. I'm a, I am an asshole as well. But I <laughs> so if people wanted all this kind of dog training equipment. Uh, equipment? Yeah, equipment. Is that a chipmunk with, that has equipment on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, is that my new name, Pat? Yeah. You're the equipment. The equipment. <laughs> yeah. Where do they go to check out that? Best bet is einzweck.com, www.einzwek.com. All right. Happy New Year, Buffhead. Glenn, are you eating dog food? I'm not eating dog food. Okay. But people thought I was last time. This is why we're redoing this ad because last time we were doing it, we had people ringing up saying, I'm very confused. It sounds like you're eating dog food. What dog food did people think you were eating? They thought I was eating Bright Spites. Why would people think you were eating it? Well, because on our ad last time, I made a little rustle and you said, Glenn, what are you doing? And I said, I'm enjoying some Bright Bites. Isn't it that the Bright Bites are so healthy and nutritious for a dog that they're amazing to use in training because dogs love the flavor of them. They're actually very good for the dog. Hmm. And they're so delicious that you thought maybe you'd have a little nibble? Well, you could because it's been so well made, as you said, as you pointed out. Kylie Bright uses all the best products that you could possibly think of in her dog treats Mm -hmm. that you could possibly eat them, but they're not recommended for human consumption, but they are great for your dog. Okay. Where would I get these? DogSquadCanineServices.com.au Did you say DogSquadCanineServices.com.au? I did, sir. Would I spell that canine or spell it out? Canine as in C-A-N-I-N-E, not K-9. Okay. So spell it out, dogsquadcanineservices.com.au. Get yourself some Bright's Bites. Use them to train your dog. Don't have a nibble yourself unless you really want to. Exactly. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And we're finally here again because last week we just couldn't make it happen. Couldn't do it. Yeah, I know. I was busy 
actually at our regular recording time you were working, so I just needed a microphone. In front yeah, I was of in me. Port Macquarie. <laughs> I just couldn't go a week without a microphone, so I went live on Facebook with Bill Church. That was good. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. That was a good episode. Yeah, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed listening to that. The content was quite good. Yeah, but we missed a week. Yeah, it's a shame when we we do that. I got a bit of heat from a few people over it. Really? Yeah, yeah. People don't like it when <laughs> when we don't supply them with their with their drugs. <laughs> It was nice. It was, like feedback's always good. You know, people say it's a shame. They enjoy the show. It gives them something to contemplate on during the week. Uh-huh. And I guess sometimes we talk a bit of shit and sometimes we say something profoundly good that rocks people's world and gives them some- And sometimes we mix those two things together. Together, yeah. Most <laughs> yeah. times we mix those two things together. You have to look for the gems amongst the shit. Well, I always say there's some pearls in the sewage sometimes because <laughs> people drop a lot of shit down the toilet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hey, um, um, I did want to start by thanking Panos and Luke oh, yeah? uh, from their podcast, Life, Life With, Your, with Dog. Your Dog. Yeah, yeah, they drop us quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And Panos has been a great friend of mine for many years. Uh, he's a great guy. You know, like he's a really astute student and now, you know, like he's got his own gig going. He's been training a lot of people. His focus is mainly on pet dogs, but he helps a lot of people with a lot of problem dogs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like he did a lot of work in rescue centers initially and so forth. And now he's out on the street helping people, uh, you know, get their life together. And, and now he's got the podcast with Luke and they're really kicking some goals. I'm proud of him. You know, like I really like Panos. He's such a, a great guy. I don't really know Luke at all. Yeah, I've never uh, met him. Yeah, I haven't met Luke, but the two of them speak very highly of us on their podcast and, and I've, I've listened to a few episodes and I thought, oh, that was really nice. You know, mm-hmm. like they quote things we're saying and mm-hmm. they always pay homage and so forth. So thank you, boys. I really appreciate it. So I thought I'd return the favour, not because I felt like we're indebted to it, but I thought it's nice to hear that people appreciate your work. It's nice to hear that people are, are uh, in the industry working together and it's just some appreciation from us. Yeah, for sure. I listen to the show. Yeah, it's a good show. Yep. I'm jealous of their- um, Oh, yeah, the setup's good. Yeah, Luke, good yeah Luke does a good setup with his little media. Yeah. Like he's got the- uh, If you haven't listened to the show, it's it's a good listen. So head on over to it. You know, like we'd like to support other people in the industry. Same thing with, with Jay and his GRC thing. And mm-hmm. Chad's got some episodes airing every now and then. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what happened to Josh Moran. and They almost made a triumphant return. I know. They, <laughs> they came back and they disappeared again. So uh, hopefully hopefully both the boys will hit the airwaves again and get yeah. back on it. I think people take for granted how much hard work it is actually. To it is a lot of hard work. I mean, you, you think about it's my editing time and so forth, which I usually do at night. But, I mean, it's also your commitment to driving out here, yeah. you know, and then driving back, which is generally a three-hour turnaround for you. Yeah, but, I mean, even just like, you know, you got to have all the right – Web, like the ho- blah blah blah. There's all a lot of the research. Yeah, you know, like there's time that goes into it when you when you've got a guest on the show. Like you you look into their history and yeah, have a bit of a think about what they're doing. And there's discussions backwards and forth on trying to tee it up. By the way, Grisha Stewart, if you're listening to this, <laughs> we usually have like a one sentence conversation once a month. Grisha has agreed to be on the show, but it's just it's be- almost being impossible trying to 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 get together to make it happen. So. Mm-hmm. Get your people to contact my people. We'll make it happen. Yeah, and, and Glenn's uh, people is Glenn. Or, or, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Me or Ladybug. <laughs> and she's not very responsive. No, she's not very helpful at all. Hey, tell us about uh, Sonic. What happened during the week? Yeah, so I put a post up on the discussion page. I just 
I actually got a little upset about it because Sonic was my EDD dog. Mm -hmm. And like I said in the post, she wasn't my personal dog. She was a company dog, Mm -hmm. but she was my favorite dog. You know, like she was awesome to work with her energy, her response, her, her ability to do the job. Like she was the the real deal. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about working canines, especially in that field with this explosive detection, it doesn't matter if it's a working police dog or, you know, like a service dog or a, a pet or anything like that. I mean, some of our dogs are just amazing and she was an amazing dog. And regardless of the fact she wasn't my personal dog, I thought of her as my personal dog. You know, like she would sleep on the bed with me in the, I, I, you know, I pretty much broke all the rules, uh-huh. but but it didn't affect her working relationship. In fact, it improved her bond with me, I, I believe. I'm yeah. going to go with that anyway. And uh, we had a great working career together. We did many, many years of, of working the East Coast of Australia. We did concerts we did stadiums and i mean that dog never quit never mm-hmm. even when i put her away i'd usually take two dogs with me when we went giving her a rest was punishing her mm-hmm. and she just could not wait to get out of the crate and start working again she just loved it she'd work we'd be on the docks at 5 a.m and there till about 11 or 12 depending on the, the size of the ship and the cargo going in and that dog never wanted to stop. Mm. Like she was just grinding the work out. But, you know, like the fantastic thing about her is that on site we always took odour mm-hmm. and we always hid odour randomly around the place. Like it didn't matter whether it was in cargo we'd searched or whether it was, um, you know, like in a fire hydrant or on a forklift or something like that. We'd always take a different odour and stash it around the place. Mm-hmm. So I'd get, the, um, I'd get some of the guys on site to help me loaded into areas we'd leave it there for a bit of soak time for a couple of hours i'd walk her past like nothing was happening and boom she was on it straight away mm-hmm. she was just a brilliant dog so when how um, do you reinforce her what was ball or tug uh, tug or, tug yeah so it's the, kind of odd for a lab right she would go either way food or tug but her preference for tug just over, outweighed her food her food drive so we gave her what she wanted basically yeah. like if she wanted food she could have had food but Playing tug, like she had a really good fight drive with tugs. Mm. So we use that as reinforcement with her. But she was just, she was an amazing little dog. I can't say enough good things about her. That's why I'm a little brokenhearted. I knew it was coming. You know, Amelia's been advising me, you know, she's, she got to 17 years old. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, so a, she's, she really, an old dog. She, she was an old dog. And that's great for a Labrador. That is also homage to, Amelia, who gave her, Amelia Todd, who I've known for, for many, many years, great friend. Um, we worked together in the in my Melbourne job. She was working in, in accounts and I was the general manager down there. Amelia just fell in love with her and she, as soon as her, the work had finished and she got to age, Amelia stepped in and said, I want that dog. You know, mm. she already had another little Labrador and the two of them got on perfectly and um, yeah, she's she's lived with her ever since, and her and her family gave her just an amazing home. Nice. You can't pay better respects to a dog that did an amazing work career, was such an incredible dog, and lived with people who loved her endlessly and tirelessly, yeah. um, and supported her all the way up until her final days. Yeah. And I mean, and she was she was ready to go. I mean, Amelia shattered as you would expect. She just absolutely adored the dog. The reason I want to talk about this is there's so many good dogs out there, as I said to start, but if we don't talk about these dogs, nobody will know who they are or what they did or what they achieved. Yeah. You know, and that's the important thing about some of these police officers and emergency service people and military people and, and people who have trained these amazing agility or working dogs 
if we don't remember these dogs, they would have done something magnificent, yet we'll never know who they were. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a nice thing to pay respect to some of these animals and and give them the, the credibility and the credence they deserve for serving such a great life. You know, and there's people that do that, and then they get the accolades. that They've either written books or been in movies or remembered or, or had some honour bestowed upon them, and I feel that that should be given to dogs as well. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. I think what you're talking then about the retirement plan as well is a big one in being able to like, hey, oh, for sure. thanks for what you did. Here's your here's your super happy life afterwards. Not that they don't have a happy life while they're working. I mean, that's the point of the dog that enjoys that's right. that. But also like you can't work anymore. So here's a, a – Here's a beautiful send-off. Yeah, here's a home that is uh, like yeah. appropriate. It, it's important, right? I mean, they give you so much while they're alive. Mm. It's important to honour them all the way to the end. Yeah. Remember old mate Roger Mayer? Yeah. Yeah, and his dog Jeff. Mm. Yeah, so he was his former police dog, and then when he retired, he got to take the dog, and he lived a wonderful life with him. Like, he attended all the seminars yep. he used to go to. He'd bring him into working spots. And, I mean, he, he was continued all, to work the dog. He continued to work the dog, and he gave that dog a wonderful life. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, he was he was a tough old dog. He apprehended criminals and everything, and then he lived a, a, a pet dog life yep. with Roger. Yeah. You know, so... All I wanted to say was here's to all the wonderful dogs that have, have done so well. And please don't think that I'm disregarding pets in that same sentence because I know how important they all are to us. You know, mm. they're in your circle of love and mm. that's that's a really important thing. And Amelia was messaging me before and she said, you know, I'm really gutted that this has happened. She said, I know how you felt when you lost Harley. And she said, I didn't really have a dog of my own to experiencing that. And she said, but I have now and I know – I finally understand what it feels like. And I said, yeah, it's terrible. I said, it's someone or something that you love. Mm. And it feels the same regardless whether it's human or animal or whatever it is. It's you love it. it it's gone. You miss it. And, you you know, like you're, you're grieving for the time you had together. So I totally get it. Yeah. You know, I had an interesting conversation with someone the other day. They were talking about therapy dogs and how mm. there's no such thing. And I was like, well, I think I'd make the case that, every dog is a therapy dog. Like I, yeah. think, I think that every, like whether legally, you know, the definition of that kind of thing. But I think that every dog fills that role for everybody. Or cat kind of, or yeah, rabbit exactly, or right? bird, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like I said before, it's the, it's having that bond of love where you're, you can actually spend time with them. And I mean, I've seen people that are sitting there with a little bird on their shoulder and just, it really relishing the moment, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just totally lost in the moment that they're there feeding that little bird some seed or something like that. Now, the young me would have thought that that was stupid, mm-hmm. you know, like how could you love a bird or a rabbit or anything like that? What do they give you back? But it's not about what they're physically doing. It's what it means to you at the time, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I've seen children who have had their pets mauled and killed by, you know, other people's dogs before. And I've had to go and defend those dogs in situations. And again, the young me, the person who didn't have the wisdom that I do now and, and the, I guess the empathy that I, I was lacking at the time, I would have thought, you know, it's a rabbit. Yeah. It, it, it's a guinea pig. Who cares? You know, just go down to the pet shop and buy another one. They all look the same. It's not the same. I know I've said this before, but it's, it's just not the same. Yeah. Not yeah. to that kid. You know, I mean, that that's pure heartbreak. Yeah. They've lost something that they went and fed and put water in and changed the hay in and, you know, played with and hung out with and stuff like that. To them, it's an important thing. So, 
I guess we're digressing off the point of, about what I wanted to make about Sonic, but, you know, love is love. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, and people's pets are, you know, it's a friend and uh, no matter what pet it is, it, it's their friend, it's a listener, mm. it's a, a confidant, you know, like. Um, Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Even, if, you know, no matter what it is uh, and the loss of them is huge, you know, whether it's timely or untimely, it, it always has a massive impact. Mm. So, Amelia, I know you listen to the show. I just wanted to let you know the boundless respect I had for you taking on that dog after she served her working career. She was a, a wonderful dog, but you're also a wonderful owner and family to her. You provided her a beautiful home. Again, you know, like I've just said, here's to all the dogs, but here's to all the people that have taken on these rescue dogs, mm-hmm. all the problems that other people have neglected or thrown out like garbage, and you've picked up the pieces for them, given them the respect that they need and, and given them a loving home and taken them all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an amazing service. And sometimes these dogs are disruptive to your life they've destroyed people's homes they've caused problems in their relationships and yet they've still found and pulled together the strength to maintain the relationship and kept the dog going and and seen the dog all the way to the end and that's that's a tough gig yeah i genuinely salute you for it because that that's an amazing effort really is yeah so thanks amelia and thanks everyone else it's it was it's really cool all right what are we talking about Oh, tried not to tear up. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Yeah, I did it. Got all the way through. So what I want to talk about is some of the things that I find that are affecting people with their ability to, to train. Mm-hmm. Some of the timing errors, some of the, the little silly little nuances that people pick up mm-hmm. along the way. Like now that you're coaching a lot of people and you're traveling around and getting to see people on on our own soil and in different continents, mm-hmm. we're finding that it's much of the much. Yeah, Human behavior is human behavior. And that's why coaching is so important. Yeah. We talked about it when we had Sarah Bruski on the show, having second set of eyes, having the master coach, having yep. a coach, having someone there to hold your hand a little bit while you're, you're doing it. I guess the reason I want to talk about this is because it's an observation I have every time we do an NDTF course or any time I'm watching a seminar or any time I'm talking to people, coaching them, watching other people coaching. It's the little – it is these little nuances that people – do that they don't understand the impact it's having on communicating effectively with their dog. It's mm-hmm. the same thing that I've done. Some people were watching Dancing Bear a while ago when I put that up and some questions came back about it and they said, why did you do this and why did you do that and and how come – and it was about relating to clicking her in position rather than getting her to come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a few people said to me, wouldn't you have just been better off giving her – a different marker such as good and then clicking her to come off. And I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're probably right. I probably should have done that. Uh, And I said, I'm probably fortunate enough that I can be lazy enough in some of my training that I can get away with it, but somebody else might not be able to, and Mm -hmm. it might, might confuse the dog and it might muddy the message up that you're actually trying to get through to them. So I'll give you an example of something that I saw a few students doing in the last block. And it's not specific to them because pretty much the high 90% of all students do it. And it comes down to nerves, inexperience. There's a lot of reasons why it happens, but it happens nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that they do are when they're about to click, they put their hand to their their food pouch. Mm -hmm. Surely if I go back through the archives of the show, I've mentioned this before, but it's one of my pet hates. You know, it's one of the things I really try and establish a foundation on before we go ahead and do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's it's so distracting to a dog. I know you hate that word distracting or, or counter motivating to a dog, 
But when I find it is a distraction, like when, when you're going to touch the pouch, it, it signals to the dog. It was confusing more than anything. It's confusing. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's good. That's good. We'll go with confusing. Yeah. So it is confusing because- Is that the mark or is the click right, the mark? Right. And, and that's the whole point of it is that your job when you're training, as we've, we say to people who are doing working dogs and so forth, is to be a post. Mm-hmm. You're, you're supposed to stand there and not give away too much to the dog until you need to. Yes. You know, and people say, well, should I help the dog if you need to? if you absolutely need to, but the more you're fiddling around, the more you're jostling around, the more you're, you know, shuffling around in the background and doing things, the more your dog is off target on the behavior that you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. There's a classic, everybody who's done NDTF is listening to this will be sitting there rolling their eyes now because this is one of the, the tasks that all students have to do when they're doing their final practical presentation. And that is they have to teach the dog to retrieve a dumbbell and bring it to you or they have to go and, and turn on a light switch. Mm-hmm. So the easier one of them obviously is the light switch mm-hmm. because if the dog doesn't have any desire to retrieve, trying to teach it in one week is almost unbearably impossible. Mm-hmm. So if the dog does have the desire, it's got an instinctive trait, it's much easier. And I've said to people, choose wisely. Yeah, some dogs will come out of the box knowing a- how to do that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So if the dog has got the trait, it's in the DNA, then I say to them, well, that would be a, a good selection. But I said, if, if you find that the dog's got no desire to pick something up, you're pretty much going to get to day seven of eight and then come and tell me my dog doesn't pick up the dumbbell. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say to you, why did you choose the dumbbell? Mm-hmm. After I've just gone through the entire explanation of saying why and how and when. Yep. I encourage the students, go with the light. Certainly pick the dumbbell up at a later stage. You can do the... What do you call it? The force retrieve? What's your unforced force the fetch. The unforced force fetch. You can learn a technique like that later on. Mm-hmm. Pretty much any dog can learn that. Yeah, any dog, any dog that can learn eventually. that. So you, you can go through the process of teaching the unforced force fetch. However, in the time that we've got together during the course, I say to students, just stick with the light for now. Mm-hmm. You know, learn this process, get your timing correct, and start developing that relationship with a dog that it understands what true shaping is really all about. And this is for the student, you know. I mean, it's not their dog. It's a kennel dog, usually a rescue dog that we bring into the facility for the student to do their work with mm-hmm. that they get then get to experiment their training on. So no harm, no fail. It's great for the dog. The dog gets all this extra stimuli while it's here. Mm-hmm. Instead of sitting in a rescue centre waiting to be adopted or whatever, it's actually getting training. It's getting stimulation from the trainer. However, it's still nice if it's done right. So the dog actually picks up a new skill. So we try and get it, and this is beneficial for the students, so we try and get it as correct as we possibly can. We try and establish the mindset of this is true shaping, this is how it happens, and this is the, the steps that you need to take to get there. The student needs to be assessed on this and they need to pass the criteria to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, my long explanation into leading into this, one of the things that is troubling, I understand why it happens, is students then start to bob up and down like they, they do a range of different things. Some of them look like one of the, you know, those drinking birds that they, yeah, yeah, they tip yeah. over and drink water and then pop back up again. Yeah, yeah. So I've called students before drinking birds because uh-huh. they look, and, and it's done in fun, in light, not, yeah. to, not to pick on them and, and to chastise them, but just, just to say this is what it looks like to the dog. Mm-hmm. Some people shuffle like they're doing, uh, like the Melbourne shuffle. In my head, I'm singing everybody shuffle and watching them shuffling around all over the floor. But it, when I pointed out to them, none of them know that they're doing it. Yeah. None of them are aware of it. And that's why these coaching sessions for students are so important that when you're actually showing them what they're doing, 
because they're looking at you going, no, I didn't do that. I said, I videoed it. Here it is. Yeah. Because you've done it yesterday and I knew you're going to do it again today. So I I candidly videoed it just to show you because I I knew if I videoed you'd stiffen up. Mm -hmm. So I need you to see what it looks like from the eyes of the dog. And they they look at it and they're going, holy shit, Mm. did I really do that? And I said, yeah, like so much so it looked like you were dancing while you were trying to shape the behavior. Because the complaint is and was in the past more so than it is in modern day, I'm getting to day three, four, and five and not getting the responsive behavior from my dog. Mm -hmm. So another thing that they do is they'll take the dog into an environment where there is so many forms of motivation going on around that the dog is almost – it's like going into a candy store and not knowing what candy you want and being stuck there for an hour just thinking, well, they all look so good. I just don't know which one to try first. Mm -hmm. This is the problem that they create for the dog. Whereas basically when I say to them, you want your dog as bored as shit, as bored as you can possibly get it during the initial teaching phase of training. While you're teaching, forget about training proofing phases. We're talking teaching phase stuff. You want this as mundane as you can possibly create it. This environment needs to be so fucking batshit boring that this dog is out of its mind looking for something to do. And then the behavior will start. Mm. Then it starts to become progressive. But so then, when you like limit the variables down to one. Have to. Yeah. Because they'll take the dog outside and, and neighbor up with somebody who's having a good time with the dog and the dog is clicking and going crazy and jumping all around the place. Yeah. And it's like that movie with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks where she's having a new, pretending to have an orgasm oh, yeah. and the lady's going, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what the dogs are doing on the field is yeah. going, oh, I want what's going on over there. I want your yeah. party. You talk about this quite often as a form of motivation and it, and it is. Mm-hmm. You know, the dog is motivated to look elsewhere because there's a party going on next door. Yeah. The trainer will say my dog's distracted by that, but the reality is he's just way more motivated it's, by it's that. It's motivating. There's, there's a show going on and it wants to be – it's like when you're at a party and you get stuck having a boring conversation with somebody when yeah. there's a fucking party yeah. enveloping you in this situation, you know, and you want to be in there having a party and someone comes up to you and goes, hey, Glenn, let's talk about – accounting you know <laughs> and yeah. and you're thinking fuck off yeah. i want to go and get drunk and i want to party i don't want to talk about accounting mm-hmm. i've made that example before but it's the same for our dogs and we've got to be very understanding of the limitations and the problems that we create for our dogs when we're trying to shape behaviors or create and mm-hmm. y- you know these nuances of behaviors that, that we're wanting to see and fundamentally not giving them the environment that they need to create the behavior in I was thinking just then when you're talking about it, like you see people bending like on that one where the dog's going to retrieve or, or even touch the light or mm. whatever, you see people shuffling and, and bending their body in weird ways and that sort of thing. And I think that starts out for them maybe as a subconscious attempt to use like some uh, like spatial pressure yep. to get the dog to sort of, or maybe a little bit of inference or something towards the dog. It's usually not very successful. In fact, usually it- Counterproductive. You know, yeah, mm. it confuses the dog. Yeah. Because uh, the dog is hardwired to take your direction via your body, right? But imagine it It appears as though it is successful. Maybe the dog doesn't even notice that you do it or, or, it, or it does work, for example, and the dog completes a behavior. Whether you're aware of it or not, it then becomes a superstitious behavior to you. Right, so you see some people that have like little odd, funky little body movements <laughs> when they give a command to the dog, and then because it's a superstitious behavior for you, and you do it without noticing, and it's always in there, 
Then what happens is the dog does take notice of it. Now, whether it was important to them at the start or not, doesn't matter. It will be important to them at the end. And then when you fade that out, now it turns out, oh, actually my dog doesn't know the command, mm. right? He knows the funny little foot shuffle that you do. And it can be a really hard thing to do. In fact, when you were talking about then, there's a very – we've put it in the group before – there's a funny video of me in Remy and he's level two when he's being driven and I do like a weird little shuffle. But do you know what I was doing? I've watched that a million times trying to figure out what I was – I was working the grip. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like in my head, yep. I was like – You were controlling the dog. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was trying to like open up my arm so he could get a better – yeah, because it's, yep. it's a trial, so the decoy's not helping him get a better grip. He's got what he's got and now yep. she locks him up and drives him. And in my head, I watched it – I must have watched that a thousand times because I do this weird little shuffle. I'm like, why am I doing that? Like mm. what – the dog can't see me. It's not like this is I'm trying to help him out, but I was like – working the grip of the dog in my own imagination. And it's important to have that stuff pointed out to you because then if the dog does see me and then, you know, that becomes a part of it, that becomes a part of the picture. And then absent that, because she can't see you, you're in a blind or, or you just don't think to do at that time, whatever, it becomes a, p- a problem when it's missing. It's never yeah. a problem while it's working. Mm. It's only a problem when you can't give it. Right. So I think that a lot like, yeah, listening to you, then you, definitely people are confusing their dog giving themselves a setback. Yeah. But then when they don't confuse the dog and it still works, then that becomes a part that has to be gotten rid of. It's a lure without the lure. Yeah. Again, mentioning Sarah Bruski when she was talking about having these behaviours that you have to try and fade out later and yeah. that becomes a problem for you. What I usually try and encourage people is don't create them in the origins of your behaviours. You know, Try to do it as pure as you possibly can, giving thought to it, these are hard habits to break. They're yeah. very hard because, you know, sometimes you're very hardwired into the behavior yourself, like you said, and you don't understand you're doing it, but you've always done it in some way, shape or form. Mm. You know, like it's been a part of your strategy or a coping mechanism, something you've picked up along the way, something that you've you've done in other sports or other things that you've been doing where it didn't matter. Mm. It didn't really matter. But now you're controlling another entity, another species you know, and that species is, it's hardwiring is as you, again, another point you made is to follow along with what you're doing, to take the lead from you to say, okay, well, you're obviously doing this. It's important. It's part of our programming. Mm-hmm. I need to pay attention to what you're doing. And that can be crippling to people's progress, especially when things are on a time limit. You know, like it doesn't matter so much. Well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter so much when it's your own dog and you just fluffing around with your dog. No harm, no foul. Like if you don't have any expectations and you're only doing it to entertain yourself, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's no problem. It's still better if you don't do it. But when you're training dogs for any form of application where there is a time limit on it, it really does matter. Mm. That's where you really have to respect the discipline of a lot of these magnificent trainers out there who really understand the impact that they're having by not, well, the impact they're having by performing these little behaviors, Mm. you know, and they go to great lengths to really stop themselves from doing it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's like trying not to hiccup when you got the hiccups, you know, like you have to be really conscious of stopping yourself from doing it and almost try little forms of meditation not to do it. I'm guilty of it as well. 
But now, over many years of doing the discipline, I can be like a tree. So goddamn boring that the dog is thinking, well, you got nothing. Mm. You know, there's nothing to feed from you. And I'm not getting, he's not touching the food pouch or he's not putting his hands in his pockets or shuffling around. This is all things you do later in life. You know, like when you're getting to training stage proofing phase, of course you bring all that in. Yeah. You do everything and all of it to try and trap the dog into, the dog's then got to realize this is a trap. You know, I'm not going into those behaviours, but in the early stages while it's learning, it's very difficult. In fact, there was a great podcast I was listening to. It wasn't great. Let me reframe. It wasn't great. <laughs> Be careful. Yeah. Here. I'm not going to mention the podcast, but it wasn't great, but it did have some great information. It was a lot of fluffing around to get to the point, but it talked about, you know. That wouldn't be us. We never fluff no, around no, never to get the point. But it talked about learning. It was based on learning theory. Mm-hmm. And one of the principles in there was the way that educated people or geniuses converse amongst each other, they understand exactly what they're talking about mm-hmm. and how it goes down. You know, So the conversation between learned people is far different from a learned person to a novice. Yeah. Okay. Now, a learned person can make the mistake of thinking – this is easy, so simple a monkey could do it. But that learned person has gone through the years and the disciplines of learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. So we as learned people shouldn't make the mistake of thinking this is easy, you shouldn't shuffle and you shouldn't do this. I've had years to progress and I've had mentors and I've had second set of eyes watching me and telling me don't do it, post up, be yeah. a tree, don't do all these sort of things. I had good people kicking my ass along the way. Other people haven't had that. They've been in their bedroom or their garage or down at the local club and they might have had a mentor that was a bit loose with them and not picked them up on these type of things before. So when you look at them, rather than just think, hey, tell them this is easy, you shouldn't be doing this or anything like this, let them know what it is they're doing and let them know what they need to do to fix it because mm-hmm. to them it's not easy. Yeah, You know, like for a person who's never played piano, like if you're a gifted musician and somebody – chopsticks is difficult for yeah, them. Yeah. You know, they they don't have the neurological pathway in their head to know or not know how to do it. Yeah. I think in all those kinds of things, a lot of people that are involved in the dog industry understand behavioral science very, very well, yeah. but they can only apply it to dogs and they forget that it actually applies to people as well. Well, it right? has to. That's the connector that you need to, unless you're training the dog, which is um, rarely the case. Yeah. You know, I mean, most of the time we're coaching people. So, you know, like in your example there, people are leaning in an odd way towards a dog or they're shuffling their feet or something like that. And, and as a coach and as a trainer, most people look at that and say, stop leaning. Right. Or they say, don't shuffle your feet. And we know that that is, it's a, that's a much more difficult thing to do than if we say to them like an alternate behavior, Right. Yep. I need you to stand straight and achieve that by leaning against this wall. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't let your back come off that wall. So we give you a criteria because a criteria that is met is a lot easier to achieve than a criteria that is not met. Like don't do something leaves room for interpretation of maybe now I do something wrong. And it's why I'm constantly referring to like, I don't use a lot of punishment, not because I'm averse to punishment, not by a long shot, but more often than not, I want something specific. Mm-hmm. And so I would, the pressure that I would use an observer might say that's ne- that's punishment, but I would say, no, it's negative reinforcement because yeah. I'm asking for a specific thing to happen. Now, whether we're going to use negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement, irrelevant, right? Like, But what we're saying is it's usually better if you notice that you have a bad habit and you say, like, I find myself leaning 
to give an inference to the dog or shuffling my feet around, yep. give yourself a criteria of I stand leaning against the wall, yep. right? And I have to maintain contact with both my shoulder blades. Like both my both my shoulders have to be in contact with the wall. And now I stop inferring with the dog. I can't keep my shoulders against the wall and use my shoulders as an inference to the dog at the same time. Mm. Impossible, right? So an alternate behavior. And the amount of coaching that you see in the dog world where people just want to tell you what not to do. And we say, well, you're a very exceptional dog trainer and you, you're always telling the dog what to do, yep. right? Then they just tell the person what not to do. So I think that, like for me, that's been a big key in learning is alternate behaviors mm. and saying like, you know, okay, you're doing too much with your hand, put your hand in your pocket. You can't do that. You can't have that problem with your hand. You can't be like giving that inference with the hand mm -hmm. by keeping it in the pocket. Things like that. Like, okay, you're, you're reaching for the pouch too early. All right. Well, now you are like your hand is to be, you are to hold your own thigh. Like it is not just because what we want to say to them is like, don't put your hand in the pouch, let your hand hang naturally. Right. Well, what we are saying is, don't put your hand in the pouch, but then they're like Ricky Bobby, right? They don't know what to do with their hands. <laughs> and that for me was a big one when like I started teaching like a, a proper competition style heel, a heel that I'll be assessed against. Yep. Because before that, when I was teaching just street dogs to heel, I, like I personally like to leave my hand kind of next to their head and so that I can hold their head and control it in the movements. And if yep. you're a street dog, like you can kind of point them where they're going, but that's, that's not allowed in competition. Yeah. So I found myself- it's a, it's, it's a guide. Yeah, it's a yeah. guide and it's a double mm. command and- mm. I found myself uh, much like Ricky Bobby where I just didn't know what to do with my left hand. I just really, I truly didn't know where to put it yep. and had to like found myself putting it in all kinds of positions where I was like, no, okay, now I need to give myself a task of where is this hand going to go? And if you see, that's largely why I use that healing stick because it, it gives me a reference point of where to put my hand like yep. that. This is something I can do with my left hand rather than saying like, don't put it in the problem space. Well, now it's picking my nose and I'm scratching my head and I'm doing all kinds of things like put it here specifically right here. This is where, the, this is the place for that to be. Yep. So I think that's a big one. Like keep in mind. Yeah. It's the, part of the coaching process. Yeah. Mm. But we know that in dogs, everybody like most dog trainers understand that operant conditioning and we, mm. we get all that and we, but we forget to apply it to people. And especially when you're, uh, uh, you, it's rare that I tell people don't do something. And now I, I might f start by saying, we don't want this to be happening. Therefore you should do this. Yep. This is what you should do. Yeah. It's being aware. It's creating awareness in, in your environment. Yeah, mm. for sure. The other side of all that kind of stuff we're talking about is the preparation for the sessions. And I think that like for me, something that really makes my skin itchy is like haphazard dog training. Yeah. It, I really dislike when the dog comes out and then we're just kind of fluffing around because yeah. the moment the dog comes out, he's learning. Yep. Right. And you know, one of the worst things that sort of, it, it upsets me and I've been putting this position by a few people as well as they just bring the dog out and, you know, we're talking, you know, generally and they say, yeah, so we're here to work with the dog and, you know, he's, he's super reactive and constantly blows up at men with beards. And for the last five minutes while we've been talking, the dog's been sitting on the floor doing nothing. And then I say, <laughs> okay, well, you're here talking to the man with a beard and the dog's been doing exactly what we want yeah. and we haven't reinforced it. Right. Right. Yeah. We're waiting. 100%. We're waiting for it to go bad. God, how many times have we seen that happen? Yeah, it happens all the time, right? Mm. And so that's one of the things that really grinds me or like, not grinds me, but makes my skin itchy. And like, I, I really dislike haphazard dog training. I, I can go one next. Go that for they, it. That they try and then trigger the dog to behave in the way that they're explaining to you. Like they almost want you to see the behavior. So they create 
the situation where the dog feels, well, now I've got no alternative than to yeah. respond that way because yeah. you're leading me into the behavior. And then yeah. they want to kick the dog's ass for it after it. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm giving you permission to act like this, but as soon as you do it, I'm putting a boot up your ass. Yeah. Yeah. I think it relates to, there's a, a saying that I got taught in the army. They call it the six P's. I think people who aren't, so potty mouth called mm. the five P's, yep. but we call that prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yep. And that's so important to us. And, and, and I, like I've totally carried that over into like all the dog training that I do is I always have a plan. Yeah. And what I never do is put myself in a position to not know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I have a plan with everything, every interaction I have with the dog, whether it's your dog, my dog, someone else's dog, right? A dog I'm training or uh, someone else's dog they're training. I'm counseling the person, a session with, my own dog is that I have a top, have a plan and every plan has like a two branch plans, right? So we have our like most likely course of action. So this is what I think is going to happen, right? When I get the dog out and I am training on this field in this location with this reinforcer, yep. I have my most likely course of action is that the dog is going to be in a habit of compliance. The dog is going to be motivated for what I want to do. And of course, like my plan is designed around my most likely course of action. But then I also have my most dangerous course of action and my plan that I design around my most likely course of action has to be able to fit around my most dangerous course of action so that while everything's going well, I have thought about what could go wrong. Yeah. Right. And now in the army, we would say most dangerous course of action because, you know, we're dealing in danger, but you could apply, you know, put in exchange dangerous for, um, unfortunate yeah. right? or unplanned, but nothing should be unplanned because- It's beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. Mm. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go out onto the field and if my dog does well, most likely course of action, this is how I intend to pay with my dog. Yep. And because I'm at this level of training, I'm dealing, because I'm at X level of training, I'm dealing in Y state of arousal, yep. which means I'm dealing, I'm providing Z reinforcer. Mm. And so I know that I have a plan for that. I intentionally want to bring my dog to- a medium level of arousal because I'm beginning to proof a behavior that I taught in the last session. Yep. In order to achieve that, I've brought the Frisbee because I, and I'm going to let him know he's working for the Frisbee so that he maintains that level of arousal. Now I'm going to work on this behavior and I'm doing it in the dog park because that's where I need to start working on distractions. Mm. Right. So that's my lo- most likely course of action. What can happen? My dog, decides today that today's the day he doesn't want the Frisbee. I've got to be prepared for that. All right, well, how am I going to compel him into doing that? All right, now he suddenly realizes that he doesn't know the behavior that I taught him the other day. How am I going to assess whether he's paying me off versus actually doesn't know the behavior and I've made too big a link? Yep. Okay, now I'm in the dog park because that's the area I have to train and I have a rogue dog that comes over and wants to interfere with my dog. Am I going to leave or am I going to work through that or am I going to manage that other dog? Am I going to manage the risk of that dog? Is that dog friendly? Is that dog there and to be aggressive? Is Has the owner got control of that dog? Like these are all things that never should take anybody by surprise, mm-hmm. all right? And this is what we talk about, like prior preparation preventing piss poor performance. Like whenever I take my dog out, I know exactly how I'm going to deal with every one of those situations. Yep. Does it require a whole heap of thought? No, like because I'm driving to where I'm going, it's like a five minute sort of, this is my intention along the way. And I have a training plan and I know like where I'm working towards with my dog. 
and I know where I'm going is going to cause a certain amount of arousal. So all these sorts of things are taken care of for me. It's yep. plug and play that just goes into the slot. Mm. But then I need to know, and these are the things that you have to think through and never put yourself in a position not to be dealing with them, is like when something goes wrong, how am I going to manage that? And is that an environmental thing that can go wrong? Like am I going to have to look externally or is that something between me and my dog that can go wrong? Am I going to have to look internally and manage my dog? That's the difference between good training and bad training. Yeah. And you could be the world's best dog trainer and have the greatest skill, but if you don't mitigate all those risks and have all your different branch plans of, okay, what's going to happen at this decision point, yeah. that's where how you achieve nothing. And that's what really, like, you see people when, especially, and I know that nerves plays a big part in this, but when you're at a big event and people bring out their dog and you say, you have the, the, the front loading and we say, okay, what's the dog? How old is he? What are we working on? Okay, bring him out. And the dog comes out wearing nothing but a flat collar. And I say, all right, what's our plan? When something goes wrong, are we teaching the dog something new that he's never known before? Okay, like flat collar is fine because we, we, we're not going to try and use the pressure at this point, yep. right? No, no, we're working, we're proofing your behavior. Well, how the fuck are we going to prove that behavior? <laughs> right? Yeah. All right, cool. So what are we, what are we, what are we reinforcing with? Oh, you know, he works for anything. Well, which did you bring? Right? And yep. you see that one all the time. Oh, the dog will work for anything, but you didn't bring anything. That's an, I have to interject there. That's an interesting thing. And I guess this needs a little bit more thought than normal is that a lot of people who actually are astute trainers who do do very well. For some reason, when they go out to do a dog spot, it's like they freeze up. And as you said, it's it's nerves, but they'll second guess themselves. I've seen people who would advise people along the lines of what you're talking about. They would suggest a better strategy and yet they'll walk out there and completely ignore what they've told scores of people Mm. only to freeze up and not make themselves look silly. But you think to yourself, okay, I know as a person, like if I know this person, and I know their capabilities. I know that there's times where I think, I know that you're better than that. But, you know, you didn't put it on display. And But that's even part of getting up for a dog spot is kind of rehearsing your spot as well. Totally. Like thinking about the plan, as you said, you know, having those five Ps in, in order. I wouldn't say I've never done it before because I have. I've got up in things before and I oh, thought, of course. holy shit, you know, like my mind just vacated. Yeah. Everything that I had planned has just tipped out. Yeah, and of course. And that happens to everybody, but that's the difference between a good session and a bad session. Yeah. See, like is. what I often say is that you can bring the dog out and everything can go fucking wrong. The dog can completely pay you off. Yeah. Everything can go wrong and that can but still be a good it. session. That mm. can still be a totally good it's session. a learning if, session. Yeah, if the learning moments are there. Yeah. The only thing that constitutes a bad session is when the dog learns the opposite of what you wanted him to learn. Yeah. It's as simple as that, right? And so like this is one of the ones that you see – like having a plan is the difference and knowing exactly this is my dog. These are the things that affect him. And, yep. and not just at working spots at seminars, because that's something that's near and dear to us. That's what we see a lot of, right? Yeah. But, but it's in every- uh, In training session. Yeah, every, mm. every session with your dogs, nothing yeah. haphazard. And then when people do train haphazard, and I know we've spoken about this a long time ago before, but it's like that's when there's no measure of whether it was a good session or not. Mm. Because if you'd never had a plan, you never know whether you met that plan. Right. So speaking of, you complimented a young lady who attended your seminar last week. Oh, Brisbane. yeah. 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 Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, does it sound like she's planned her, her work? Quite she did. Well. Nicole, yeah. like, she did a great job. So she had a working Nicole spot. Nicole Joy, right? Yeah. So yeah. I just finished in Brisbane, just got back uh, yesterday. Yeah. Um, did a workshop there. And it's the second time with, you know, maybe half the people were there last time. Yep. Even we had Kirsty was there for the third time. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Nicole was there and last time around the dog just sort of came out and he's just a real sniffy dog, just kind of is his own man, did his own thing. Shepherd? Uh, no, he's come some kind of husky mix. Yep. Actually a very good looking dog, really mm. well put together. 
Anyway, didn't really do anything other than piss on my marker board. Um, <laughs> and you could tell she- That she would have like, delighted you. Yeah. <laughs> and you could tell at the time, she was like, you know, normally does stuff and and she was kind of embarrassed by it. Like oh, everybody always is. And I say, yeah, you know, this is, as I always say to people at, at events like that, this is the worst possible conditions to train a dog under. Like the worst possible. First of all, we're usually at a dog training place or a daycare or something like that. So- there's a heap of dogs sent all over the place. Yeah, You're training in an area where other people have just been training. Um, and we've just been talking about this, like yeah. how how much of an effect it has on the dogs. Yeah. So you're training in an area where other people have just been training and likely yep. they've dropped food. Even if not on purpose, there's the particles of food all over the floor, right? Yep. So the dog knows that there's there's sense that it's interested in for free on the floor. Yep. And we always say, don't be nervous. Don't be embarrassed because you're, you're in front of – you know, between 30 to 100 of your peers. <laughs> who and, aren't going to judge yeah, you. Yeah, and who I, always say, you. I always say, don't <laughs> worry, they're not judging you while they're judging the fuck out of you. <laughs> and these days everyone's got their mobile phones and they're all filming it. So you know if you're going to make a mistake that that's that someone's got that on record to yep. hold over you for the rest of your life, right? Yep. So it's the worst possible conditions. But anyway, so she says to me, oh, the dog's normally better than this. And I said, yeah, I believe you, but he's not now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's another really big part of dog training is to not make excuses for the dog, yep. right? Just accept and say, what it is. This is what it is and yep. why, and then understand it and say, like, why is this different from what I expected? Because this is not, you know, like she didn't know it was going to go that way. Like this is not how I intended for the dog to, to perform, there's factors for that and you have to accept those and then come up with a plan to work around those in the future. Yeah. Anyway, so this time she has a working spot again. She brings the dog out and the dog was amazing. Mm. The dog did a great job and it really warmed my heart to see the dog perform so well and do what it could do a year ago anyway, but just not in that circumstance, yep. right? That was the thing. It's not like the dog has suddenly learned a bunch of new skills, but what she yeah. learned a year ago was that my motivation has to increase. Like yep. I need to, I need more than it appeared that I needed. Like, so when you're training at home, the same environment, the dog knows, okay, this is the 10 minutes of the day where we train and then I get my dinner and it's all sweet, right? Yep. And but a lot of dogs then have to learn, shit, that window can open in other environments and at other times. Mm. And it was very clear that she had done the work on that because that she brought the dog out, she told him it was time to work and he went from a dog, like he's just a super sniffy dog that loves to smell the ground. Yep. And he went from that into a dog who was working for food and he was yeah, retrieving. Nice. And she want, she told me that when she brought him out that she wanted to speed up his retrieve. That's what she wanted to apply some Nipopo to. And I was thinking, oh God, please let the dog retrieve so that we can. <laughs> and I said, when she came out, what do you want him to retrieve? And she says, oh, he can retrieve anything. And I was like, oh God, why didn't you bring your thing that you train it with? And she says, no, he can retrieve anything. And she, I gave her the clicker off my hand because that's what we had. And the dog, retrieved it beautifully beautiful, and and we really did get to work on a couple of little exercises to try and speed it up yeah, and the nice. dog was already very fast and it was very good and we were just kind of sharpening the wedge right yep. so i was really proud of her and i told her such i said hey mm. you've done an amazing job and like i say it's nothing like there's a the dog's performance was what she thought it was going to be the first time around but she learned okay the motivators aren't there in mm. diff at different times and in different environments and it was clear that she had changed that and it had gone to be the point where the dog was like okay you open the window now it's time to work i don't care where we are i don't care what's going on we're, we've got this opportunity to work and the dog did great 
But then what really warmed my heart, and I was so happy that she did it, was in another session, we were doing some unforced force fetch stuff. I said, that's great, jackpot him. She gave him a piece of food, but then she unclipped him and she told him he could sniff. Yep. And I was like- You get it. Yeah. I was like, oh, you get it. Yeah. Like you understand because that's what a dog likes to do. And we've been talking about this for probably on and off for the last six weeks, I think. You know, like we've been going in and out of this whole cycle yeah. of, you know, you, you actually need to understand what a primary motivator is to a dog and, and the joys of what it wants to achieve as yeah. overall satisfaction when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. And it the dog dragged her off, like yeah. nearly carried Perfect. her away to get to Perfect. the area that he wanted to sniff was yeah. where he was before. And it was spectacular to see. Mm. I, was, I was so happy to see it. And I was like, okay, you came out with a plan. Like mm. that is it. Like the dog did everything we wanted him to do. Everything went perfect. We got a great rep uh, and you reinforced in a way that was reinforcing to the dog. Yeah. And you don't usually single many people out on your seminars. So no, I was, was interested to learn more about it. So I thought, oh, we're here today. It's a good opportunity I really to ask you about it. I, I really enjoy her. She, she messaged me, you know, without sort of embarrassing her any further, although we are. She's a big question asker and she messaged me one of the nights after the seminar. I was like, oh, you know, look, I'm sorry I asked so many questions. You know, if you want me to stop, I won't. And I was like, no, you're asking the questions nobody else has the guts to ask. Yeah. Right? Like they're not bad questions. They're very good questions actually. Mm. They're very relevant. And I love it when people ask questions because that tells me where the hole in my explanations are, right? Well, some it, sometimes it depends. Yeah, I like mean, I have had the, I have the, had people say, "Can you say exactly what you just said, except say my dog's name instead of Fido, so that I can understand it and relate it to me?" <laughs> <laughs> my dog's name is Chelsea. If you could say Chelsea instead of Fido, then I will get it. Right? Yeah, like I've had those, but all the questions were good and they were relevant. And yeah, and yeah. I was like, you know, it's great that you're asking those because it tells me that you're either thinking through the content and thinking it through till you find a hole, right? Or like I'm not producing, I'm not explaining it well enough Mm. and there's a hole in what I'm saying. Uh, And you're not the only person that is glad that information came out after you asked the question. So anyway, that's, um, I'm really happy with her. Good work, Nicole. Sorry for embarrassing you um, any further, but I was really happy with um, the performance of your dog. It just made me happy to think that over the 12 months or whatever it is since I was there, that we see an astronomical change. The dog does a great job. Yeah. Don't those students make such a difference for you. Yeah, they do. You know, yeah. They really do. Like some people think that being a trainer and, and going and doing these seminars, it's about the money or whatever it is. But I mean, those moments are really the ones that define it for you. Totally. Like I, I was just talking to you in the kitchen before about young lady that I've been working with. And I'm going to put some video up at some stage of the progress that she's made with her dog. So the lady's name is Georgia Brown, sweet Georgia Brown. Mm-hmm. Tell her the name. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, just to sidetrack you here, something you probably don't care about. That's the name of the the pomade that I use in my hair for all the people that, that are- Georgia Brown? Yeah, sweet Georgia Brown. The one that you do your hair flicks with for the girls? The one that I always use to, to make my hair look <laughs> look, look greasy and slick. Yeah, it's called sweet Georgia Brown. Yeah, pomade. That's a very old sort of hair product. That's, an, that's going back to the- I'm an old gentleman. You are an old gentleman. Mm. So, Georgia Brown, she's a NDTF student. She has a dog called Laker, who's a- a Stafford crossed sort of dog. A blocky head. Yeah, blocky head, bully breed dog. And, you know, she's the traditional problem bully breed. And George has been fundamentally aware of this since day dot. And since I would probably consider myself an aggression specialist, she came to me and said, I really need some help. She identified the dog's a problem. I need to do Mm -hmm. something about it. So long story short, when she first came to me, the dog was enormous. She was huge. And I said to her, first thing we need to do is put this dog on an athlete's diet. It needs to be pretty much thinking about food all the time. 
So we started making the clicker as valuable as possible. And Georgia is the ideal client. Mm -hmm. She said to me a couple of times, the same thing Nicole said to you, I'm really sorry, I'm being a pain in the ass. And I said, you're actually not. You're probably the best type of student that I could ask for. Like you ask, your questions are all relevant. We speak a lot, but the only reason we do that is because she's just confirming that what she's doing is right. Mm -hmm. So rather than just continue to make a silly series of events that are wrong and then ask me to unravel them all during the week, she just checks in to say, okay, so I've done stage one and two. I'm just going to check that stage three and four are on track with what we want to do because her dog had some serious problems people and dog aggression. Mm -hmm. Now I've got videos with her and, and sweats who we all know as jazz. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I better say it's jazz whiting, but uh, (laughs) super jazz, but um, we've got video uh, in the shed of jazz with the dog, like jumping on her lap and kissing her in the face and Mm -hmm. everything like that, like having a great time with her. And this is the first meeting that her and and jazz have had. So I've I've been convincing Georgia that she really needs to do GRC. You know, I've said this will be, Noseworks or GS, GRC will be a fabulous event for this dog. It will give her something to aspire to, mm-hmm. you know, a job, a job to do, which is what these type of dogs need. They need to have a job. They need to basically, what we need to do is distract them away from the thoughts that they were having and create new thoughts, you know, and this is, it's a form of extinction that we all know when we're trying to do it, but really we need to get the dog so far away from its previous line of thinking. We really need to create new synaptic pathways because. The problem is, is that those thoughts are still in the head. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still swimming around somewhere in the mind and they're, they're easily recallable. And that's the problem with aggression. It only takes one spark to light that fire. So, you know, we really need to change the whole dynamic of the lifestyle of the dog. And that's what Georgia has been doing. You know, I know you listen to the show, Georgia. Again, you know, to not embarrass you either. I'm just saying that people like you make our lives so much better. Like you've really rekindled a lot of my joy in training because it's not a lesson I go to rolling my eyes thinking, oh fuck, this is going to end in disaster. Like Mm -hmm. I've really been enjoying watching your journey with your dog. I know that I've been coaching you, but you've been doing all the hard work and I just want to acknowledge your hard work and dedication and the change it's having in your dog. I know that, you know, as, as her and I have discussed, as I have discussed with all people who have got problem and aggressive dogs, we always have to watch them. We always have to be ready that that hallmark is going to be there. Dress for a sunny day, but prepare for a storm. Mm-hmm. And that's the adage that I always make sure that people are aware. But thank you for being such a diligent student. Thank you for, for taking the lead on this for such an important task because like you are really creating and defining an exceptional future for that dog. All I'm doing is handing you the tools. You're learning how to use them and how to craft what you're doing there. So I I just want you to know you and all the people like you that I've I've spoken to, and I'm sure you would agree, Pat, 100%, you're exceptional people because you don't just listen, you actually do something remarkable after that. Yeah, there's so many names like that that you could say. Yeah. Like, you know, again to- It's only because it's most recent that I'm thinking about it now. I mean, there's there's people of the past that have just done exceptional work with, with all types of dogs, all types of breeds, all types of behaviours, you know, whether it's it's me as the coach or you as the coach or Bart or Larry or Chad, Jay, Sweats, the whole lot. Mm. You know, there's remarkable people that have just gone forward and and really made their own masterpiece. And you might not never know about it. Mm. You know, and this is like leading back to getting back to the start of what I'm saying. There's some fucking remarkable dogs out there that have done some remarkable work with some remarkable people that unless we talk about them, unless we actually – 
give them some credibility. They'll live their whole life and you'll never know who they are. Yeah. Mm. I got a message the other day from a, like a Nipopo gold student saying, hey, Clayton Matthews, have you done a bunch of work with him? I said, oh, we did like a, a couple of Skype sessions over a year ago, right? Yeah. ADS, his box work is on point. Like, because he's put up a bunch of videos on it and it's legit. Like, it's fucking great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's because he's really taken the time to understand it and implement it properly and is really- Ignition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's mm. it, right? That's yep. it. But there's so many, that's just another name that is, you know, Rattling around in my yeah. head of people that it makes me really happy that have been implementing this stuff and making the changes with their dogs and passing it on as well. You, you must know, feel like a proud dad, don't you? I, I, <laughs> I definitely am really happy with seeing changes in people, especially yeah. now that we've been doing this and I've been teaching for a while, like that it, there's been time to get effective change. Yeah. And I think that's worth mentioning as well is that, you know, nothing like significant change doesn't happen overnight. Like, yeah. especially when you're dealing with. Oh, uh, it take this is. Yeah, you when know, you're dealing this with aggression months, and months of work. Yeah, like reactive dogs yep. and, and thin nerves yeah. and aggression, all that kind of stuff is it's a slow burn. But even marker boxes and box work and so yeah. forth, it's a skill. You need dedication. You need commitment. You need somebody that's going to go out there every day and, you know, like, as you said, sharpening the wedge, yep. you know, and th- this is so important because without this, the dog basically is on a negative feedback loop because it just doesn't understand what it's doing. And, you know, like it sort of senses your disappointment in it, but really you should be disappointed in yourself Mm. because the dog is a product of its environment. It's it's created through what you show it to do. Otherwise, it's something that I repeat frequently for those who care to listen, but dogs aren't misbehaving. They're just behaving the way they know how to behave because that's the environment that you have set the dog up in. Yeah, I think it's 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 very important to acknowledge the role of genetics and it's yeah. easy for two guys sitting here with like purpose bred dogs yeah. to say like Well, oh, I actually you know. no, I'm the I'm actually showing people things that I'm doing with Ladybug because she is the wrong type of dog for no, some of but, these behaviors. But I mean like it, when you talk sort of behavior mod and that kind of stuff yeah, like yeah. it's easy for me to say, "Oh, I train my dog in the dog park, no problem." Then I use other dogs as uh, yeah. uh, when the dog is phenomenal bloodline bred by the best breeder of that yep. type in the country with the best early imprinting, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. But, you know, the reason I bring that up is because every dog is, uh, like you say, every dog is a reflection of its environment, right? Yep. But we also acknowledge that, that, that there the, is gene- there's, there's the, mishaps. It's, yeah. it's the same with, you know, people are born – not right sometimes. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, like their thinking processes are not in line with yeah. with normal thinking processes. And this isn't a, a, a dig at mental yeah. illness at all. No, no but we acknowledge, it, we acknowledge the fact it. that like yeah. some dogs on their best day and in their very best version of themselves with the best trainer on the planet is still they not do, as they good still as my dog it. on his yeah. worst day, right? Yeah. Just and purely on genetics. Yeah. Like it, take the training component a part of it. Like that's just pure. Some dogs will never herd. Some dogs will never do bite work. Some dogs are lousy at detection. Yeah. You know, some dogs will never be assistance dogs. There is just, they're, they're just incapable of doing it. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. Like when you look at the size and stature and the variations in weights for people, some people will just never be hundred meter sprinters. Did, did you, do you remember there was a video that got around a while ago of that Mally that was in training to be an assistance dog? Do you remember that? Yeah. Where it, it just ripped the guy out yeah, of the like, wheelchair. And it was a <laughs> yeah. joke. It was a joke. And yeah. those guys really do train assistance dogs, yep. but that's his personal dog. Yeah. And, and they, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was excellent. I thought that that was such an important thing to see. It was good comedy and, yep. but it got the point across and that like, that's not a bad dog, not yep. by, uh, not by, 
any stretch of the imagination because he works the dog and the dog is just trained and suitable for a completely different purpose. But selection criteria is an art just that's, in training. That's it. And that's mm. what I think that that video is such a good demonstration yeah, of like 100%. as an assistance dog, that dog was fucking up at every turn and was making the life terrible yep. of the person that's meant to be assisting. But it's because it's a competition sport dog, right? Like it's been totally right. Like my dog is fantastic for what I want, but he's a headache in so many other regards. Like he is not, he is, he would be the worst if he was meant to be an assistance dog. You imagine him as a blind dog, he'd lead people into traffic. He'd get himself and the person killed as, as quickly as possible. Paul Remy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, look, I think that like the point of the episode for me, that like when we discussed sort of what we're going to talk about today, mm. was certainly that that's what I think is that, I don't like haphazard dog training and I try to avoid it as much as possible. And I think that the people who I see getting really good success, the people all around the world who are coaching others or being coached by others, nothing's haphazard. Like Mm. this is what we're doing. This is the steps and this is why I'm doing it. And you know, I I was, I had kind of a speech to people on the weekend about decoying because there were some people interested in um, crossing over sports and maybe, maybe going from the sleeve sports to the suit sports and stuff like that. Mm. And it's a tricky part is when people say, "Who, who do you recommend as a decoy here? And I said, well, I don't know. Right. Like it's a hard, that's a really hard answer question to answer because are we talking about working a dog or developing a dog? Because that's a different thing. And are we talking about developing a dog for the street or for like competition? Like that's a really different thing, right? But I think that my advice to everybody in that regard was at any point during training, you should be able to tell the decoy, ask the decoy, why are you doing that? Mm. And they should have an answer. Yep. That's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a team thing, not a dictatorship. But now they may not want to answer right there because they're busy doing it. But you should say like every single action that the decoy has while they're working the dog has an end point. There's a reason I'm doing this. There's a goal. But then- It's shaping. There's criteria to develop. That's right. But then I then said to these people, it was like, don't be demanding that knowledge from the decoy if mm. you can't do that yourself. Yep. Like at any minute in the training session, you should be able to pause and ha- if someone said, why are you doing that? Why is your dog here now? Why is that dog in this situation? Why are you using that reinforcer? Why are you using that tool on your dog? Why do you continually put me on a back tie <laughs> or my dog on a back tie when you're doing training? Exactly, right? Yeah, because like, you're a lousy handler. That's it. <laughs> but, but so at any moment, every single part of your training should be able to be critiqued and you should have an answer for it. And if your answer is, I don't know, or I don't have a reason, then that's where the problem is. That's the hole in your training. Yeah. There's a breakdown there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, of course you might have a a wrong answer. That's, that can happen for sure. And be prepared to take advice on that. And I you know, I put myself out there for critique all the time. I think it's very, very important. But I think nothing haphazard. And I I feel like when you're training, if your goal is to make advances in anything, no matter what you're doing, whether it's dogs or anything else, Mm. nothing haphazard. Like there is a reason I'm doing this and, and, and it might not be the right reason and you might be wrong in that moment. But so long as you have a reason and a goal and a plan, then you're going to be making advances. You're totally going to be like on the right track. Yeah. Oh, there's something I wanted to talk about and it's been bugging me for a long time and I want to bring it up. People who buy tiny treat pouches that can't get their fucking hands in them, you drive me absolutely crazy. Uh, okay. Like, please, guys, you've got to be aware. Like, Pat's just been really laying it out, the the importance of planning. I mean, this is one of the things that you plan for at the start. If I can get inside your head or encourage you or encourage your students or anything like that, like, get a treat pouch. You can actually get your hand inside you know, and that you can fish around and you can grab your treats. Mm-hmm. And when you're using treats, don't have these massive blocks of 
they're almost like two inches by two inches big and then wonder why you give the dog two and that's the end of the session. Yeah. You yeah. know, like all of these tiny little things add up to why you're having problems in training. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've just gone through a list of the importance of getting your shit squared away. I can't tell you how many times I've been to seminars coached in DTF and students have got these, like they're almost like utility belts. They've got more things hanging off them that they'll never use or don't need. And the important function that it's there for is to store the treats in and they can't even get their frigging hand in. Like it, yeah. they're fishing around for five minutes. And I'm just sitting there with my watch going, Oh, the time passed like four minutes and 50 seconds ago, you know, like <laughs> you're, you're, you're well past it. Like disassociation's not even a thing now. Like yeah, it doesn't yeah. even know what it's all about. So, these type of things, I know that sounds silly and it's like a, I've just inserted it into a, an important topic, but if you think about it, this That's all is, part of what we're it, talking it about. is, what do you say? Excellence is mastery of the basics, mastery of the basics, you know, excellence, mastery of the basics. So those type of things, they're the basics, large treat pouch, small food. Think about some of these little things because that is some of the things that really creates early problems in the initial teaching phase. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. Hey, let's wrap it up. Yeah. One thing I do want to say, I've been meaning to do this for a couple of episodes, but I've been forgetting, is for our Australian listeners, a lot of people always asking, how do I get into decoying, blah, blah, blah. There's, it's constant and it's a hard thing to do. Yep. And we have many people that want to come to the club and, and at the moment we're in preparation for trials. So no, we, no. we can't be allowing people to, like we're trying to get the dogs onto, yeah, we're finishing behaviours rather than allowing setbacks of an unknown decoy. But- the way to get into learning to decoy is to go to Sean Edwards's decoy school. Absolutely. That is the way yeah. to do it. So not just for Australian listeners, because he does them all over the world, but for mm-hmm. the guys here, for people that are asking me, how do I get into it? That is how you do it. You go to that seminar and it's happening here first weekend in May and you're crazy if you're not there. there Sean, There are some world-class decoys out there and Sean is amongst them. That's right. And, yep. and has a process for teaching people how to do that. So He's that is an how you do it. Excellent educator and a, and a wonderful person too. That's right. Yep. Right. And so the working spots are people who will be in the suits, but everybody will be there learning, right? Yep. And and understanding what's going on. And if you have a dog that you want to get work, so all the audit spots, so people who are there to watch are free to bring a dog yep. so that that dog can be used. So if you have a dog that you're looking to get developed, there's no better opportunity to get the dog developed than under the like strict instruction of Sean, he'll be telling the people exactly what to do and manipulating so that every dog comes out of the session better than it was. Yeah. So truly that is how you do it. I think that Sean's the, a master coach in decoy. That's right. It's yeah. a, and it's an opportunity we have in Australia because we mm. don't have, there's only like, you know, there's only a handful of good decoys Just don't have in the Australia. history of it. Like, like they've had in other countries. That's right. But and the, the access, there's only a handful of right. good decoys in Australia. And we to my more. knowledge, there isn't anybody that's running courses available to civilians that yep. is like, this is how you get started in decoying. Yep. And the decoying is not specific to any specific sport or to any specific end product, whether it's police, military type stuff, because Sean is across the whole lot of it, right? Yep. So it's for the whole thing. Please come to that. Don't. And if you're not, then don't. You're wasting you, your time. Yeah. Don't yeah. ask me, how do I get right. into decoying? Yeah. That is how you do it. Yeah. Great. <sighs> that's a good rant. Yeah. Like that is. That's beneficial for people because you're right. There are so many people who will continue to ask that question. Yeah. 
It's amazing that when you drive someone to their door that they're still wearing blinkers and that they can't yeah. see it. But what's important as well is I think even if you have no intention of ever putting the suit on, it's worth going to so that you can determine whether your decoy that you do work with is doing the right thing, right? Like whether they really know what they're talking about or not is come to that and learn the foundation skills, whether you ever intend, intend to get bit or actually do it. Coming to learn what it means means that you can then assess whether a decoy knows what they're doing, right? So it's worth your while. All right, that's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. For another episode of the Canine Paradigm, as always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you extra episodes there. Ten bucks the Q&A on it. Thank you, um, Patreon people. Love I, you guys. I say it every show. Yep. Um, you are amazing. All the progresses that our show makes, again, you know, like I've said this many times, but it's not just it. It's not something I'm saying on a whim or feel like I have to say. You really I, mean it. I really mean it. You know, like the, we're sitting at an amazing desk with all our microphones organized, everything because of you, because yep. of the Patreon people. You're our lifeblood. You're, you keep the show running. You pay all the bills for us. Can't thank you enough. Yeah. And the other way you can support the show is to buy yourself some cool merch via Teespring. Mm. You can get on there and get yourself sweet hoodies. Hey, isn't it so cool forth? seeing people popping out on the it field? Is, yeah. It's like I've, I see people in the photos at your seminars wearing the, yeah. the Canine Paradigm yeah. merch and everything. Yeah. Hey, it makes and- me feel bad because I don't wear that much of it. <laughs> <laughs> like I should wear it more. I've got this thing at the moment where I like to wear other people's brand stuff when there's but photos But that's nice. We're support- we can all support each other. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah, there's yeah. Not, nothing wrong with that at all. I think yeah. that's, you know, like we're all in this together and it's nice that we're, you know, that people are supporting us and we're supporting them. Totally. I just gave Luke and Panos a, mm-hmm. a, a bit of a shout out before, but they do it so regularly for us. And they us. could send us t-shirts if, 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 if they if wanted. If they wanted to, we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get a picture with a life with your dog. Um, picture and we they can yeah. wear a canine paradigm while they're shooting their show. Yeah, yeah, and of course everybody always, love everybody. Yeah, ELE. Yeah, semi pro. Ely, everybody love everybody. <laughs> and of course, if you wanted to buy me a Tesla, which is what I'm into at the moment, you a could Tesla. do that. Yeah, you could do that if you wanted. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got a thing for Teslas at the moment. Yep. But yeah, you're still waiting on that. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to join the Canine Paradigm discussion group. Yep. Do yeah, that. it's live. It goes directly to our ears and eyes. So yep. Canine Paradigm discussion group on Facebook is yep. the best place to ask questions and so forth. Yep. All right. That's it. Good talk. Music. Yep.